0: Today, I'm going to read Hebrews 7, 1 through 10, the priestly order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation of his name king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother of genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils, And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers. Though these also are descended from Abraham, but this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. For he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. And this is the word of the Lord.
1: don't have your Bibles open yet, go ahead and take the time to open them up to Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to be camping out there today. Chapter 7 is going to be all about what Kathy just read. And so we see this interesting individual called Melchizedek and Jesus being compared to him or being said of being in the priestly order of Melchizedek. So I want to ask you this question this morning as we begin, and, and please feel free to give me a response back. Why take a whole Sunday morning to talk about this guy named Melchizedek? Why would we do that? Just somebody throw out an answer. Why would we spend all this time? It's in the Bible. That, that's usually a good place, right? It's, it's God's Word. And, 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 and we learn that all, all of God's Word is profitable for teaching, correction, rebuke, and training in righteousness, right? So we know that. But, but there's another reason that I'd like to get at. Why specifically do we want to know about Melchizedek? Why should you as a Christian want to know about this obscure individual besides the fact that he has a cool name? Why would you want to spend so much time studying this guy? Okay. Okay. Very good. And you were going to say? It Absolutely. Absolutely does both of those things. And 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 Mary kind of really getting at that point that I'm driving on. If we say that the whole book of Hebrews is about who? Jesus, very good. Okay, can't go wrong with that answer. Jesus, right? Unless it's squirrel, then it's squirrel. But it's Jesus, right? This book is about Jesus. And so Melchizedek is going to inform us about Jesus. And if we call ourselves Christians, which practically means Christ followers, then we should want to know about this guy Melchizedek. Even though the history of Melchizedek is Three verses. Three verses. You talk about obscurity. Like, right? Like, we are going to study Melchizedek this morning, and and the author of Hebrews is going to form this whole thing about Melchizedek because of three verses in Genesis so why study about Melchizedek? Great answers. It ties the Old and the New Testaments together. Absolutely. It is God's word. God wrote it. Therefore, it's profitable for us to learn. And most importantly, especially for the book of Hebrews, it informs us about Jesus Christ. So the first thing that we're going to talk about this morning as we look at Melchizedek is this idea, this understanding of the person of Melchizedek. Before we go there, I think we need to stop and talk about a priest. For us, this is as as Protestants, the idea of priest is kind of weird or maybe foreign to us. But we have a lot of people in this room that came out of a Roman Catholic tradition. That's not as weird to them because they understand that this idea of priest is someone that is this go-between between between God and man, okay? Well, Jesus Christ is called the high priest, the priest to, to, to basically end all priests, Because Jesus Christ, we can directly approach Jesus Christ. We have this direct access to Jesus Christ because of the work of him, of Jesus Christ on the cross. He not only was the perfect sacrifice, but he's the perfect priest. And that as so far we've learned in the book of Hebrews, that he, he doesn't have an end of days. No one's ever going to have to replace him. He doesn't take a day off. He sits at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, continually interceding on our behalf. He is the go-between between us and God. You, you need to understand this morning that apart from Jesus Christ, there is no access to God. That apart from Jesus Christ, prayers have no power. Prayers have no effect. That it is only because of Jesus Christ and his work and our belief and faith in him that we have any ability to go near to God because God is a perfect and he's a holy God. And God cannot tolerate sin. Cannot. Will not. His character won't allow it. And so Jesus Christ goes to the cross, he dies on the cross for our sin, and he raises from the dead. And he imputes, he gives us, he places his righteousness upon us when we believe in him, okay? And so now we are righteous before God and able to approach God, able to approach this throne sort of grace in our name because of Jesus Christ. And I can't emphasize that enough to you. Like you on your own, apart from Jesus, have no access to God. None. But because of the work of Christ, because he is our great high priest, we can have access to the Father. Okay? So his priestly role is essential, not only to our coming to faith in Christ, but our continual gro- coming to faith, but also our continual growth. Okay? So the, the person of Melchizedek, well, we know he's a historical figure. In Genesis chapter 14 and verse 18, if you want to do that, Genesis, and turn over there, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. So you turn all the way back to the beginning of your Bibles, or type on your app, Genesis, G-E-N-E-S-I-S, and it's in chapter 14, okay? Now, what's very interesting, last week we talked about Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, First, the promise in chapter 12, and then the oath in chapter 15. Well, embedded in between the promise and the oath is this event that takes place in Genesis chapter 14. So what happens? Well, we know Abraham and Lot had split ways. Lot was Abraham's nephew. And God had caused the herds and the blessing upon both Abraham and Lot to just grow to this place of abundance, so much so that they had to part ways because the land literally would not support all of their livestock and all of their families. And so they had to split ways. Lot went towards the direction of what looked to be the good things and towards these pretty horrific cities, one called Sodom. And if you know in the history of Sodom, it was a really sinful place, but it had really green pastures and really nice waters, a fresh water stream. And so Lot says, that's the better. I want the better. So he pursues the better even though the better put him in great peril. And so God gave, a, gave to Abraham this other place that was not as maybe attractive to the eye, but exactly what Abraham needed. So they'd split ways. Well, God caused these kings to rise up against Sodom and, and, and stuff, and the, the, there was this huge battle that took place, and these foreign kings came in and were carrying off the kings of Sodom and other kings, and, and Lot was part of these people that were being carried off. Well, Abraham's like, hey, blood's thicker than water. I'm going to go rescue my nephew, Lot. So Abraham gathers up his guys, and they go off to fight these foreign kings, take Lot back. And, as they're, and they are hugely victorious. And, and Abraham's very clear why they're victorious. Because God went before them. Amen. And God gave them the victory. And so he's, as he's coming back with the spoils of war, okay, okay, with Lot and his family, but also with the spoils that would have been from Sodom and these other places, he runs into this guy named Melchizedek. Melchizedek comes out and greets Abraham as he's coming back, okay? And that lands us in in verse in chapter 14, starting in verse 16. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back the kinsman Lot, with his possessions and the women and the people. And after his return from the defeat of the... Oh boy. Tedoroma, the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, went out to meet with him at the valley of Sheba, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, verse 18, came, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Okay? And then that's it. That's all we know of Melchizedek. End of story. End of story. So we know that who is this guy, Melchizedek, and it's a great question to ask because theologians have kind of argued about this. The Qumran sect, which was a New Testament, post-New Testament sect that, that existed in the area of Jerusalem, outside of Jerusalem, believed that, that, that Melchizedek was an angel, okay, sent by God. But most theologians disagree with that. Most theologians say this was actually a historical person that existed during this time. And it's a fascinating picture because I love what, what Calvin has to say in his commentary here on this. On Hebrews, he points out that it is remarkable that Melchizedek lived with Sodom on one side, a completely city full of debauchery and sin, and, on the, and the Canaanites on the other, like folks that would sacrifice their own children in an attempt to please God. And yet he was a righteous king and priest. This shows that God can raise up a godly witness for himself when and where he pleases. Like Melchizedek, Jesus is both king and priest. In one person. The next time we see Melchizedek mentioned is in Psalm 110 verse 4. So Psalms is in the middle of your Bible. You want to turn over there. Psalm 110. And in Psalm 110 verse 4. We read this. And and the Lord has sworn, and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And what he's talking about here is is the kingly lineage of King David. So King David's lineage and his heritage is that of order of Melchizedek. Which is like, okay, that's interesting. Why is he referencing Melchizedek? Well, we're going to see that answered as we look in Hebrews chapter 7. So we see that this, this idea was a historical person, prophetic person. In Psalms, we read this, and he's also very theologically loaded as an individual here in Hebrews chapter 7. So turn back to me with Hebrew, into Hebrews chapter 7. What I enjoy greatly about oftentimes the names given in Scripture is that names have significance and great meaning. And that the naming of an individual is often very, very important in the context of Scripture. Well, the name of Melchizedek is no different. It says here in verse starting in verse 1: For this king Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. He has he has, oh, excuse me, a tenth of everything. He has first, by translation of his name, King of righteousness. Melchi, M-E-L-C-H-I, in Hebrew would have been this understanding righteousness, which is significant. And the next part of his name, Salem, is peace. First he is king of righteousness, then he is king of peace. And that is extremely significant for us in our understanding of peace because so many times in this world peace is striven after gone after pursued apart from righteousness see even in his name he is in this name here he is teaching us the scriptures are teaching us here that you cannot have right you cannot have peace apart from righteousness and the only way we have righteousness is because of Jesus Christ. And I don't know, maybe you're in here this morning and you're striving after peace. And you're running hard after it, And you want it so desperately in life. But you want it divorced of righteousness. Instead of Christ reigning and ruling in your life, you're like, I just don't want this reign and rule of Jesus. I want my way, I want what I want, when I want it. I want to pursue the things that I want to pursue, and yet I want peace in my life. Well, here in the name of Melchizedek, we discover some very important truth. You cannot have peace with God apart from righteousness. That only through Christ's righteousness imputed to us can we be at peace with God. And so we see that Christ is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Why? Because Christ is the one that brought righteousness to us so that we might have peace with God. How beautiful is that? Three verses. I kind of, you know, John, John Simpson and I geeked out a little bit this week that in three verses of Scripture, there's this incredible understanding of who our Savior is and why it is so significant that Scripture tells us he is of his order. So first we learn of the person of Melchizedek and the importance of his personhood. The second thing we learn of here is the lineage and duration of Melchizedek. We see that the lineage of Melchizedek, he has no lineage. Now, what's very interesting, when we read about Melchizedek's story, oftentimes when Scripture is introducing a character, and they'll say the son of, or from the line of, but Melchizedek just walks on the scene, greets Abraham, has this little interaction with Abraham, walks off the scene, and boom. How many of y'all have ever seen a movie where, the, like, if you missed out on a certain portion of the movie, you had a really hard understanding The rest of the movie. Okay. Now, this is a poor example. And so before you like boo me, okay, this is a poor example. Like Batman, right? If you don't catch... The fact that he's Batman because of a guy that shot his mom and dad. Like that super little short scene of this robber guy shooting mom and dad. You lose out on this whole understanding of why does Batman become Batman? Why is he so dramatic and so like challenged in all of life? Because his parents were shot. But if you miss that point, you're kind of struggling to go, why in the world is Batman so weird, right? Like here is three verses and you're, and you're like, okay, I understand the priesthood of Christ... But if you miss out on this, this three verses of Melchizedek, you're, you're going to have a really hard time understanding why Christ's priesthood is so significantly different than what the Jews had understand up to this point in the Levitical priesthood. You've got to know this guy. You've got to understand this guy. And so here, like, like Melchizedek, Jesus has a different lineage than heritage than the Levitical priesthood. Because the only way you were going to be a high priest was if you were from the tribe of Levi. But Jesus Christ is not from the tribe of Levi. He's from the tribe of Judah. Absolutely. Tribe of Judah. Line of David. He is from a different lineage as Melchizedek. So the lineage is different, and he steps outside of this traditional lineage in order so that his priesthood might be significantly different. And we're going to read how significant that is in coming up in chapter 8 when we read that because he is from a different priesthood line, that it offers, ushers in a new covenant. And before we dive into that ball of wax, we're going to pause there and just let you deal with that, and we'll get there, okay? All right, we'll get there. We also know that his duration is different. We see that in the Levitical priesthood, that the priests would, would rise up and die off and rise up and die off. Or they'd rise up and, and do something sinful and get killed by God and there'd be need to be another one. But we don't see any end of days for Melchizedek. He steps into the scene and he steps off the scene, but we don't know his beginning nor his end. And like Jesus Christ, his priesthood has no beginning and no end as far as like, Excuse me, it has the beginning when he died on the cross and he rose from the grave. But from that point on, it will have no end. His, His priesthood will go on forever. That's how eternity be so secure because Christ will always remain the priest. The next thing we see regarding Melchizedek is this idea of the honoring of Melchizedek. And we see this in verses 1 through 2, 4 through 6, and 8 through 10. Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of his spoils from war. Now, which is very interesting. It was just a tenth from everything. And we're going to see, if you were to continue reading this story, that Abraham was going to give back to to Sodom the stuff that was theirs. He let Lot keep the stuff that was his. Abraham had no desire to keep the spoils of war. But from everything, from all the spoils, God or Abraham gave to Melchizedek a tenth. And what's interesting, as we read through this text, as it was read through by Kathy this morning, we understand that not only did Abraham, was it this, but was giving of the tithes, and offer, tithes there in this moment... But also all those that were inside of Abraham, okay, like his future descendants, and it talks about Levi also giving of tithes to Melchizedek, which is very interesting because part of the Levitical process of being a priest was to collect tithes from the people for the temple. Do you think like ten percent giving is bad? Like, do you understand in the Old Testament? There was ten percent for the temple. There's ten percent for the, 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 pre, the kings and those other people. And then on the year, and every third year, there was another 10%. So every third year, 30% tithe, but every year out was 20%. And what we see here taking place, Levi was one that collected these tithes and offerings. But even though Levi collected them, Because of Abraham, even Levi himself paid tithes and honored Melchizedek for his role as high priest of the Most High God. But not just Levi. Us as well. Because we're the promised ones of Abraham. God told Abraham, through you many nations will be blessed. So in this act and in this moment, we see that all... Of the promised ones that would come from Abraham, offer ties to Melchizedek, and as great as Melchizedek is, Jesus is so much greater because in this book so far we've learned that Jesus is the creator of all things, and if Jesus is the creator of all things, that means everything belongs to Jesus, right? It's all His. And so we as understanding Jesus as the high priest, we understand that everything is his so that we come with joyful, generous hearts to give back to God. And we're not just talking money here. We're talking time. We're talking talent. We're talking our resources. Like the things that God has given us, we understand that we now have joyfully generous hearts to give back to God, to honor our king, to honor our high Priest. Because it's all his anyways. So we joyfully give back to God. As was demonstrated here in this moment because Melchizedek comes on the scene and Abraham ties to him. We understand Jesus is so much greater than Melchizedek of this lineage. And that we give to Jesus with everything that we have. With joyful hearts. And I want to read this scripture to you. Out of 2 Corinthians As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. If you're visiting with us this morning or if you're one of those people that say, you know, every time I go to church, I hear about tithing and, and, and giving of money, right? And, 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 and this morning you landed on it. We don't talk about it every week, but um, we do talk about it. And, and, and I talk about it not with apology. Because as Christians, we recognize it's all from God. It's not ours. And, and why people talk about 10% I would just love to do away with that figure. Because to me, it's about what was about this passage. It's about understanding that God has called us to give with joyful, generous hearts. And I feel like that number 10%, instead of going before God and saying, Holy Spirit, lead me in what I should give this week, we just go, well, this is the figure. And we just cut out the Holy Spirit. Instead of the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us on what we should give, we just say, well, here's a law. It's easier to deal with the law than it is to deal with relationship with God. So I challenge you in your giving of your time, of your talents, and of your resources, lean in. Ask God, where should I be serving? Where should I be giving where I'm not giving? Where, where should I be spending my time where I'm not spending my time? What should I be doing for you, God, that, that I'm not doing? And let God lead you. Let God direct you and be open to his leading and his directing. You don't... You don't want to look at your time and say, okay, uh, there's so many hours in the week. I'm gonna, I'm, well, we don't count the hours that I'm sleeping because, you know, and I don't count the hours that I'm getting the kids ready for school or I'm getting up in the morning. So, well, okay, uh, 10% of these hours, come on, really? Versus let's just open up our hands to God and say, God, I want to I give to you. And you understand that joyful, generous giving Amen. is going to hurt. It's going to be sacrificial. And when it's sacrificial and it hurts a little bit, then I think we start to realize the joy it brings us because it's unto God then. So we see this in in this wonderful honoring of Melchizedek. The fourth and final thing we see and we learn about Melchizedek's is Melchizedek's blessing. And not Melchizedek receiving blessing, but rather Melchizedek blessing Abraham. And we see here, In verse 8, in the case of one, oh excuse me, in verse 7, it is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. What in the world is going on here? Understand who Abraham is for the people of Israel. Abraham is this, like, the father of the Jewish nation. He's the guy that that, that stepped out in faith and left his homeland to become part of this promise of God. He is a huge figure to them. And this obscure figure whose three verses in Genesis is superior to Abraham. That like screams off the page to the Jewish reader. They're like, what? What? How is this obscure individual that has no beginning of days, no end of days, like nothing else is said of him. How is he superior? This is ridiculous. Well, because he is blessing Abraham. Because God appointed Melchizedek for that time and for that place to demonstrate to the nation of Israel the superiority of Jesus Christ. I mean, what, what a crazy, Mel. I was saying, I forgot who I was saying it to this morning. I think it was Steve Furman. I was talking with him this morning. Like, Melchizedek has to be like in heaven right now, just praising God. Like, I was so obscure and laughing. Like, God, I was so obscure in the Old Testament, but you used me to like point to Jesus. Whoa! Like, whoa! Like, just praising God for, like, God, you did that through me. I'm so not worthy. But, like, here's this obscure individual who's greater than Abraham. Why? Because he points to Jesus Christ, who is the father, who is the author of the greatest blessing that we could ever receive, that we can have eternal life through his name. Oh, man. And you start to see, like, he's, remember, he made this call to the, to the Hebrew congregation, the Hebrew audience, to say, stop drinking milk. Start chewing on some meat. Y'all feel like we're starting to chew on some meat here? Like, this is craziness. We're learning about this obscure guy from three verses in the Old Testament and how significant he is in Scripture. Let me tell you something. The blessing that Christ brings. Do you want eternal life? It's through Jesus Christ. His blessing. Forgiveness of sins. Who wants forgiveness of sins? Amen. It's through Jesus Christ, the greatest prophet. How about inner peace? Not that weird mumbo-jumbo stuff that we meditate in corners for hours to receive. But no, like inner peace that comes from forgiveness of our sins and right standing with God comes through who? Amen. What about hope? How many of y'all would like hope? Amen. Amen. It's through Jesus Christ, the greater blessing. Oh, man, come on. Joy in the midst of trials. Do you know that's possible? Because of the blessing of Jesus Christ. What about grace that endures? What about victory over sin? Not just forgiveness from sin, but no longer having sin control you and dominate your life. How about healing from past wounds? See, this is the blessing that Jesus Christ brings to us. He is the great high priest. And Melchizedek, his job was to set Jesus up so that we would look to him as the great high priest. The priest not of the lineage of the tribe of Levi, but a different lineage. Establishing a different covenant for God's people. It's powerful that in the name of Melchizedek, we learn about God. And in the name of Jesus Christ, we receive the revelation of God. Thousands of years they waited for that revelation. And in the name of Jesus Christ, we know who God is. Christ came to reveal the power, the might, and the glory of God. We also learn in the lineage that because Jesus because Jesus of this lineage, of the line of Melchizedek, a priest in his line, and that the duration of his, of his priesthood will not end, guess what that means? That you and I have such great confidence. We talked about that last week. But because Jesus' reign as the priest is eternal, we can trust God. And we can have hope for all days, every day. And we have so many different things going on. And you sensed my heart this morning. My heart's heavy this morning. And I need to know this. I need to believe that because Jesus Christ's duration is forever. It is eternal. I can have hope in this day and have hope tomorrow and have hope in the next day and have hope in the next day. And that's not dependent upon what's going on in the world. Cars broke. Cars not running. Hope in Jesus Christ. Bank account says zero. Hope in Jesus Christ. You know, relationships are broken, hope in Jesus Christ. Like, fear is creeping up your spine because relationships, you're thinking, like, you're scared for your kids, hope in Jesus Christ. You know, people, like, have asked me, like, Elijah's playing football, right? Kind of a dangerous sport, especially in light of all the, the media that, that gets out there, right? Like, like, when he goes onto the field, they're like, aren't you scared? I'm like, listen, No, I have no promise that Elijah will walk off the field at the end of the game. I have no promise of that. But I have a promise that no matter what happens to Elijah on that field, my promise is secure and the one whose duration is high priest is eternal. And my hope has to be in that. That's our hope. You see, the world can't, we can't live on the the promises of this world because they will fail. He's the one that won't fail. Because Jesus Christ is the one that is honored. We can joyfully give of our time, talents, and resources. And because God is the one who gives the ultimate blessing. We can live as victorious people over sin. And with great hope. Who knew that a guy named Melchizedek could teach us so much about Jesus? And we're going to learn more. Because all of chapter 7 is, is—is this is just the introduction to the rest of the story about Melchizedek and Jesus Christ. My hope this morning, and I, as I was talking with John this week and Steve, I. My desire is that you go, man, I didn't know so much was revealed about Jesus Christ in studying Melchizedek. And my desire is that wets your appetite to go back and study the Old Testament for what it will teach you about your Savior. Because Jesus has been referenced as being greater than Moses. Do you know Moses' story? Why is, why is Jesus greater than Moses? What did Moses do? What is Moses pictured as in the Old Testament? Jesus is greater than Abraham. What do we know of Abraham's story? How does Abraham reveal who Jesus Christ is? Why do we need to know about these people? I, I hope this causes us to dive into the word. And then as we understand how these individuals point us to Jesus Christ, that this knowledge doesn't just build up our heads, but we start realizing, man, Jesus is so trustworthy Jesus is so good. Jesus is so faithful. Jesus is so the fulfillment of all of Scripture that we can trust in him and we can follow him as our Lord, Savior, Priest, and King. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you for Melchizedek and how he teaches us about Jesus. Father God, as I pray, as John goes downstairs and and talks more with folks who join him about this incredible um, individual in Scripture that so little is said of, but has such a great impact that we might rejoice in Jesus' name more and more and more. Thank you, God, for making yourself known. Thank you for the hard things of Scripture that we get to wrestle with. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.